This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Michael McNeely, thanks very much for coming on Talk Your Book. I thought it'd be a good place to start if you told me a little bit about Metal Tiger PLC and what you guys look to invest in. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Metal Tiger's uh, an AIM-quoted uh, uh, investing company. So we're not really strictly, uh, you know, a fund per se. So we invest on behalf of the uh, of the uh, of the shareholders. Um, so we focus primarily on two types of investments: sort of active and 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 when I say active, that means we take a larger percentage stake and we take a board seat and we get really hands-on and and try and to add value in ways that that sort of corporate um, people can add value. Uh, as well as bringing some technical expertise to the team. So some examples of that are our investments in, in Cobra and Southern Gold, um, which we did completed recently, as well as our, our project investment in uh, Calhari Metals Limited. And then we also have this more passive approach. Um, our largest shareholding, which we're going to talk about, I believe, today, is Sandfire Resources, which we uh, obtained as a result of our active approach with Mod Resources, um, which were acquired last year. And, uh, and then we really have a, a portfolio of other sort of smaller size investments to, I guess, up to a couple million Aussie uh, maximum size sort of investments and primarily focus on precious and, and base metals um, simply because they're very large markets, uh, easy to understand. And so give us a brief overview of Sandfire, what they do and, and what their, their prospects look like from a helicopter view. Yeah, so, so Sandfire is, um, you know, well known for the DeGrossa mine. Um, they recently, well, they acquired uh, the Monty mine um, about two to three years ago, and have been, been adding that into uh, into their mine plan. There, um, they've only got about two years left now. I think they end um, September FY 2022, according to their reserve model. Um, there may be some additional, uh, you know, stockpiles or other things that they can process there. Um, there might be, and they've talked about recently the potential to. Uh, start processing gold and, and adding sort of a cyanide and leach um, facility to their plant, um, which I think would be, you know, it's too early to tell, but it, that would be quite an interesting way of potentially reducing some of their rehab costs as well. So that's quite a positive. Um, they should generate from that mine probably between 550 and 600 million of free cash flow. And again, it depends really on what they spend their money on. <laughs> you know, they've got to think about a large chunk of that free cash flow goes towards dividends as well. So they've been paying consistently, you know, annually about 30 to 35 million Aussie in a dividend. Um, so I expect that uh, they'll continue to maintain that dividend throughout that period of time, depending on, you know, how, how other um, things develop. And then if you look at it, basically right now, it's trading at an enterprise value by my calculations of around 320 million Aussie. And the reason I say that, and it's going to be slightly different to other people's, is if you look at what they have in Adriatic, they've got about, even if you discounted it for the, the fact that they could sell it in a block trade, and I appreciate it, it's not a cash or cash equivalent, but you know they've got a, a just over 15% stake in Adriatic. That value is valued, I think, today at around 60 to 65 million Aussie. Now, if they were to do a block trade to somebody on an asset like that, I imagine they could convert that to cash pretty quickly. So I think we should uh, we should probably use that as mark to market as opposed to to fair value. Um, Black Butte, I'm not going to go with the value of their um, 
TSX listing, which they own 85% of, because I think that's a little unfair, which I think has got a market cap of 215 million Canadian. But, um, you know, frankly, you could probably say it's worth to Sandfire 60 to 70 million Aussie. Um, but it is TSX fee listed, which means there's things that they could do with that. They've, they've managed to get their record of decision. They have actually um, had uh, some, injun not injunctions, but they've had legal, um, legal claims brought against the, um, the regulator uh, in uh, Montana, uh, which they have to fight together, but there's no injunction. Um, so look, I think with that vehicle, they could do some interesting things. Um, they've obviously put a lot of money into it. And it's almost maybe a blessing in disguise that they don't necessarily need to put the capital up from, for that, which means they can focus on uh, where I see a lot of the value coming from in the future, which is uh, the T3 project in Botswana. Um, but before we get to the sort of T3 project on Botswana, I, I'm really impressed by you know, the fact they've also got this really large exploration package in Australia. Um, so they've got a commanding presence. I think they were probably the 10th largest uh, tenement holder in Australia. So all of that is essentially in here for free. They're consistently spending, you know, 50 million Aussie a year on exploration, which they're writing off, which is ultra conservative. So you're getting great option value, um, you know, over the next two years with a dividend free cash flow, And then you, you have to add in obviously this T3 and, and A4 project. Now T3, um, just to give a bit of context, they acquired, they acquired the uh, T3 project by acquiring mod resources as well as essentially acquiring an 11,000, circa 11,500 square kilometer um, land package in the Kalahari Copper Belt. I'd say about 8,000 square kilometers of which is, uh, you know, really, really perspective in the central uh, structural corridor, as they like to call it. Um, and then finally, just a quick plug here for Metal Tiger. We have a 2% net smelter royalty over over that 8,000 square kilometers, excluding the T3 project within Metal Tiger, which which we believe might be worth a lot in the future. Um, so A4 is something which I've been following very closely. We we look at the satellite imagery on that. We we count try to count the drill pads, um, and you know we've done some uh, you know some back of the uh, of the envelope uh, calculations on that, and I, I could see that probably coming in at a maiden resource estimate, which they've said they'll have by the end of the year, they were targeting September. I could see that coming in at 250 to 300,000 tons of contained copper um, with a CU equivalent of 1.8 to 2% uh, on that. Now, if you think about, they've probably spent 20 to 25 million Aussie exploring that, and they're going to get close to 2 billion US in metal in the ground that should be open pitable um, and truckable and higher grade. So if they start integrating that into um, the T3 project, it's gonna seriously change the economics. Uh, on top of that, um, they haven't really, they haven't managed to uh, drill A1 yet, but from my uh, understanding, A1 looks like a very, very similar signature to T3 and A4. And again, that's quite that's within trucking distance as well. And there's some early encouraging drill holes from, uh, from mod resources back in the day. And uh, on top of that, they're not even looking at longer term what they could get from sort of going down dip and also at depth. So I think this is going to turn into a very large processing hub and they could be sitting on you know a million tons of contained copper, which they could prove up potentially in the next 12 months, which 
in the global context, there's not too many deposits with a million tons of contained copper at that grade in, in what I consider a very stable jurisdiction like Botswana. And so you're an ex-director of MOD Resources, I believe. Yes, so you're I- in a pretty unique position to, to give a bit of insight on this. Talk to me a little bit more about Botswana and what you feel like the regulatory environment is there and, and how, you've, how you've gotten comfortable with that as a mining yeah. jurisdiction. Absolutely. Um, well, they recently changed their, um, uh, the director of mines, um, put in place an interim director of mines. Uh, and I believe the word on the street is uh, they want somebody who's going to um, push these types of projects forward. They have, you know, their industry is essentially tourism. Well, there isn't any tourism right now because of COVID, um, you know, agriculture, they've got a finance industry and then obviously mining with, with diamonds. And um, so I think they see this as absolutely critical um, for their industry to, to, to progress this. The neighbors up the road are developing, um, you know, zone five, uh, Koimaku, and that's already um, in, under construction. Um, and so, you know, you could potentially see down the line a, a tie up of Sandfire and, and, and that, you know, they, they could merge to become a, you know, a, a very, very large copper producer uh, if it made sense. In, but, you know, I, I think given they're pushing that, given what I know from, you know, Kalahari Metals, um, you know, we, we speak to the same farmers to get access as they do. Um, so we know firsthand that, that Sandfire have already acquired the, the farm. And, and I also know that they've acquired it a lot cheaper than what Maud were proposing to acquire it for. And I mean, significantly cheaper, which would indicate that the government has stepped in and helped them to acquire that. That has its own problems for us. <laughs> As oper- well as Kalahari Metals operating there, it means a lot of the farmers are now going, oh, great. Well, if you find something, you're just going to get the government to come in and, and force us to sell. So it's a double-edged sword for the explorers in the belt, but uh, obviously very positive for Sandfire. Um, so I think, it's, I think they, will have, uh, they will not struggle, nor will they go through anywhere near the level of permitting issues. They've already received their, their environmental permits. I think water is going to be one of the major concerns, and in particular with the local you know, Afrikaans, um, uh, Botswanan uh, farmers, you know, they're very, very concerned about water. Um, and obviously water is an issue in the sense that if you, if you build large reservoirs, the elephants could come and, you know, wreck your camp. So there are, there's going to be some operational risk. It is the first, like, we have to be honest, it's the first time that Sandfire has tried to develop something in Africa. I believe though that they've uh, consistently demonstrated the ability to hire the right people. Uh, and in particular, if you just look at the history of Sandfire, he was you know, very successful at getting that up and running, even though he had, a, I think it was Oz Mineral Shop on the register with 19% at one point in time. Um, so I do believe they'll get the right people in place to, to deliver a good outcome. And so it's been an exciting day in the, the gold mining space on the ASX with Saracen and Northern Star proposing a tyre with over 300 yep. million bucks of cash on the balance sheet. With Sandfire, do you see them looking to acquire new opportunities or do you think they've got enough CapEx coming up with their, their growth prospects that they'll be saving the money for that? I think it could go both ways. Either they could be a target um, or, or they could be looking um, to do something. I'm aware that they were previously, I believe, looking at Adventus and Ecuador. That continues to progress. The, the problem is there's just not that many you know, copper prospects around uh, of the sort of size and scale for Sandfire. So if, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not leading their business development team by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't know what they're looking at currently. 
I just know what they were looking at when, uh, when the mod deal was going on because we kept our ears close to the ground. Um, but I think they could, they could go for some from acquisitions. They've certainly alluded to it in, in their, um, in their news, but if I were them, I would focus on getting, you know, T3, A4 up and running, getting some drill holes into A1, uh, re-rating their share price, um, because they can't be really using their cash right now in an acquisition and their script is just way too cheap. So I think, um, you know, for example, when you look at Adriatic, I don't think they're in the position to, to make a bid for Adriatic right now with script. Um, and they certainly don't have the cash to do it. So uh, I can't see that happening. Maybe if their price was closer to seven, they could get on an M&A tear, but not, not, at, not at 420 or whatever it was last time I checked. And so from a macro perspective, what's your, your long-term thesis on copper and I guess to a lesser extent gold and silver with Sandfire? What is it about copper in particular that you like in the next three to five years? Well, in the next three to five years, again, it's, uh, it's very hard to tell how the world's going to be. Uh, you know, before I could have given you a very simple sort of three-year outlook. Uh, it's very difficult to say right now. I think for the next uh, year to two years, I'm, I'm very positive that there's a huge amount of infrastructure spend uh, going on. A lot of those projects are going to require copper now. Um, and so that's going to provide some support for the copper price. On top of that, we've got um, you know, supply disruptions, which which uh, could continue, although they have been improving. Um, I noticed that TCs have gone up um, you know, last month in anticipation of, of trying to negotiate next year's um, you know, TCs. But with that said, you know, longer term, it's very clear where where China, who you know consumes about fifty percent of the world's copper, um, sees the importance of copper. Um, just look at Ivanhoe. Look at look at who owns most of Ivanhoe mines. That is probably the best deposit on the planet, undeveloped or well, it's in development. Um, so if they if they're taking that strategic approach, then I like the odds that copper is going to be very 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 critical. Uh, I do think you know Europe. Uh, and certain other countries, maybe the U.S. will change depending on you know who gets elected. You know, if Biden's elected, you could see a real push for sort of America getting back into this whole green economy. I do think, regardless of who wins, you're going to to see a lot of sort of pro strategic metals and and pro mining again in in the U.S. It's kind of going to have to be a balance between the green side of things and 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 having your your sort of strategic metals. But copper, look at the end of the day. Every gas station in the world one day is going to have to have a charging station into it. That's all going to require copper wiring. Uh, and if you if you adhere to sort of all these cars coming down and reducing greenhouse emissions, uh, there's only one way that the copper price can go in the supply side. Well, grades are getting lower. Um, just look at the amount of projects there are. There's just not that many. Um, so yeah, three to five years, I'm very bullish on, on copper. Um, for gold, I think gold's going to be it's, it just depends really on how much fiscal stimulus you get, whether we have an uh, you know, inflationary environment or some sort of deflationary environment. Uh, for now, I guess just don't fight the liquidity would be my comment. Um, but in, I think gold's going to do well for the next 18 months. I don't know after that. It's a bit hard to say. And then silver, I think this, the gold-silver ratio is dead, uh, has been for quite some time. Um, but I'm very happy to see silver, you know, back up uh, at these levels. It hit a high, I think, of almost 29. And um, look, it is an industrial metal and uh, it has a lot of uses. And I think those uses might continue. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Silver is a harder one to sort of predict. Do you sort of feel silver is a bit of a hybrid between gold and copper? 
It is. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. Sometimes um, the currency, sometimes it's linked to, you know, growth driven inflation. It sort of almost has a mind of its own. Sometimes there's a physical short squeeze going on in the market <laughs> like yeah. there kind of is right now. Um, and the price reflects accordingly. But um, yeah, again, it's it's the physical the physical uh, use of a, of, a, of a metal and the paper markets can often or the value can often be quite disconnected depending on who's who's doing what uh, behind the scenes in terms of buying stuff. Just getting back before we wrap up on Sandfire, we've spoken about the Botswana assets. We know Degrassa has been an incredible asset that's that's winding down. Talk to me a little yep. bit about Black Butte and the, the sure. issues that they've had there and whether you think there's a chance to to monetize that, sell it off in some way, or what you think they might or should do with that asset? Um, well, if, if I were them, I would uh, I would raise third-party financing for, um, for Santa Barbara Resources America. No idea what price it would be at um, and use it as a, as a sort of uh, acquisitions vehicle to go off and sort of consolidate, um, you know, interesting, you know, development or VMS copper projects in North America and South America. They've, they've put in close to 40 million Aussie. I don't have the exact number, but uh, it's close to that. Um, so if you start comparing that to the, the T3 and A4 acquisition and, and they come out, I mean, they come out with the, uh, the A4 maiden resource and you compare the two in terms of timelines, you know, the T3 mod acquisition is going to stand up much better. Um, you know, the reserves went down uh, at Black Butte. And um, I think there might be expiration upside, but again, you know, two years, uh, you know, going back and forth in litigation, environmental things, I think it'll get there. I just think um, it might be better off, you know, Sandfire bringing third parties to do it so that they can really focus on, um, you know, expiration close to uh, Degrassa, closer to home, as well as, uh, as Botswana, and also saving some, some firepower for, for maybe some M&A. Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. It's very hard to get uh, good copper exposure. It's not, so many of the majors are influenced by the commodities. So um, to get some good copper exposure and a bit of gold, it uh, feels like an interesting story. Thanks again. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.